Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs, and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match. Which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. 
There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Murder. Things aren't always as they seem. On August 23rd, 1987, the bodies of two young boys were found after what everyone assumed was a tragic accident. But upon closer look, their death, more accurately their murder, was more complicated than anyone could have possibly imagined. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In the early morning hours of 4 a.m. on August 23rd, 1987, the engineer on the Union Pacific train en route to Little Rock, Arkansas, noticed something strange lying motionless on the tracks. Stephen Schrover did his best to stop the 6,000-ton locomotive, blowing the horn in hopes that whatever was lying there would move. But the momentum of the train carried on, and the massive piece of machinery drove over what they would soon find out were the bodies of 16-year-old Don Henry and 17-year-old Kevin Ives wrapped up in a green tarp with a 22 caliber rifle and a flashlight lying nearby. The police were called, and by 4.40 a.m., they arrived at the grisly site. The green tarp that covered their bodies was never found. So who were the boys and what series of events led to their tragic deaths? According to their families, the pair of best friends left their homes around midnight to go spotlighting, a hunting technique that involves shining a light in the face of your prey and blinding it before shooting it, which explained the gun and flashlight found at the scene. Those tracks weren't far from Don's home in Bryant, Arkansas, so it seemed reasonable that they chose this location for their hunt. But what wasn't clear was why they would lay in the tracks knowing that trains would approach and likely kill them. They weren't the type of boys to do this on purpose. They were described as popular, well-rounded, happy kids who just started their senior year of high school. Not the type, according to those who knew them, to take their own lives. So everyone turned to the medical examiner for some guidance. According to Dr. Fami Malik, the boy's death was, though accidental, a result of extreme marijuana intoxication. He claimed that the boys smoked the equivalent of 20 joints and must have fallen asleep on the tracks. But their parents weren't buying it. They claimed that the action was completely out of character for both Don and Kevin. That, coupled with the fact that they were found lying in completely identical positions on the tracks and did not even flinch when the engineer blew the horn, led families to believe that the boys were murdered. So they conducted their own investigation, and Kevin's family hired a PI to help. A PI who quickly noticed a massive amount of resistance anytime he questioned police or investigating agencies about the case. After five months of mourning their boys and trying to do right by them, the parents held a press conference demanding the case be reopened and a second autopsy done. Their plan worked, and in March of 1988, a Dr. James Garriott from San Antonio offered a second opinion that completely changed the course of the investigation. According to his findings, the boys had the equivalent of one, maybe two joints in their system, a far cry from the 20 or so that the original examiner had theorized. Time passed, the fight continued, and eventually a prosecutor named Richard Garrett got involved and, at his request, 
the boys' bodies were exhumed for a third and final autopsy, where it was found that Don Henry had been stabbed in the back while Kevin Ives' skull was crushed, seemingly by his own rifle, prior to the train crashing into them, meaning someone killed the teens and laid their bodies on the tracks in hopes that an unknowing train may destroy the evidence. In July of 1988, a grand jury reversed the rulings of accidental death and ruled them as a possible homicide. And Richard Garrett focused on that green tarp that police never seemed to locate. Multiple eyewitnesses on the train were certain that they saw it covering the boys' bodies prior to impact. But the responding police claimed that not only was there no tarp to be found, but that Stephen Schrover never mentioned it. He insisted he had, and Richard was certain it was a huge piece of evidence. For some reason, police wanted to stay gone. Six weeks after Kevin and Don's case was reopened, Richard found a similar case that occurred in Hodgen, Oklahoma, in which Billy Hainline and Dennis Decker were found in 1984, positioned in almost identical manner and hit by an oncoming train. As time was passing, the case of Don and Kevin's death seemed to get more and more complicated. And while many were certain the boys were killed prior to the train's arrival, no one could figure out why these two boys were the target of such a brutal death. Unfortunately, Richard Garrett, the biggest champion in their case, beside the families, died on October 23, 2018 at the age of 72, leaving the world with no answers and a hell of a lot of questions. The case of Kevin Ives and Don Henry, though unsolved, offers a number of theories, one more strange than the other. The first of many theories came when a witness came forward saying that, a week before the boy's death, a man wearing military fatigues was spotted walking near the tracks. When a police officer attempted to stop him, the man opened fire and disappeared into the night. On the night that Kevin and Don were killed, a witness once again saw the same man walking through the area, this time seemingly leaving town and heading down a road less than 200 yards from where the boy's bodies were later found. He has never been located nor identified. The next theory, one believed by Linda Ives, Kevin's mother, involves the boys accidentally stumbling upon a drug drop while out hunting that evening. In fact, she believed that this particular drop location belonged to Barry Seal, a pilot who smuggled cocaine from Colombia to the U.S. Dan Harmon, a prosecutor in the case, was later arrested for dealing drugs, and he along with a man named Keith McCaskill, were both implicated in the murder. Keith, who was stabbed to death by an unknown attacker on November 10th, 1988, after being asked to take aerial photos of the crime scene. In 1996, Linda released a video detailing the botched investigation and cover-up of a drug ring she believed was active in Saline County. According to the stories, a number of people connected to the ring and to Kevin and Don's murder have been killed or gone missing over the years to keep things under wraps. It's a story that, though complicated and convoluted, maybe could have helped solve the case if only everyone had access to certain documents about the crime. In 2016, Linda, who had been fighting for nearly 30 years to solve her son's case, filed a suit demanding information be turned over from three federal agencies, that would help solve the boy's case under the Freedom of Information Act. The case was, unfortunately, dismissed. Another theory came when a local waitress came forward claiming that, on the night of the murders, 
she saw two police officers beating two teenage boys in a parking lot and throwing their lifeless bodies into a truck and driving off. No evidence has ever been found to corroborate the story, but many believe that the boys saw or heard something, possibly still in connection to the drug ring, and that there was a police cover-up happening in the county. Hence the lost tarp and the shoddy autopsy. The final theory came when a former professional wrestler, Billy Jack Haynes, 30 years after the murder, felt compelled to come forward claiming he had witnessed and videotaped the boy's death. Reading off of a paper, Billy said that the death of Seth Rich, an employee of the Democratic National Committee, made him feel compelled to come forward. According to his story, Billy used to be a drug trafficker and hired enforcer in the 80s. As such, he was introduced to a, quote, politician drug dealer from Arkansas, and in 1987, was asked by this politician if he could provide muscle at an Arkansas drop-off after suspecting that some of his money had been stolen. The politician believed that some local police officers were involved in the theft. Billy agreed and, while conducting security, watched as the airplane flew overhead and made its usual drop near the Pulaski-Saline County line. There that night were three members of law enforcement, two attorneys, a club owner, and two others that Billy never saw. The next thing he heard was a gunshot and a motorcycle speeding down the tracks with one man yelling, go get him, as two men jumped into a car and sped off. Billy said the two teenage boys, Don and Kevin, were caught by two police officers a mile away at an Alexander convenience store. They threw the boys onto the ground and one, who had his head beaten in, was already dead. According to Billy Jack, though he did not participate in their deaths, he did help dispose of them on the tracks at the behest of the politician who he was working for. He met with Linda Ives in 2016 and gave her and her private investigator the names of everyone involved, knowing that the confession implicated himself and could potentially lead to jail time. If Billy's story is true, it connects almost every other theory in the deaths of the boys on the track. And if true, then conspiracy theorists have connected this case and the death of Seth Rich to a widely debunked theory called the Clinton body count. It's worth mentioning that this case has so many theories and so many rabbit holes that it's impossible to cover them all in the short form of this episode. So if that's interesting to you, please, please go down that rabbit hole. Regardless of the theories, both simple and complicated, the case of the boys on the tracks remains unsolved and in 1995 was officially closed as far as investigators were concerned. But as far as their families are concerned, the case will not be closed until justice has been served and they know the real reason their sons were murdered. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on August 24th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.